Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast with your hosts Mike and Scott. And we're going to pick up our threads from last time. We're going to talk, we're going to continue talking about our training at HSL 31, the West Coast RAG for the SH2F. Ain't that right, Scott? Are you there? That's right. Okay. Yes, I'm here and uh, uh, good to be back with you and. Uh, uh, Wish everybody a happy new year. Hope everybody had a good uh, Christmas holiday. And uh, looking forward to talking some more about uh, our experiences going through the SH2F RAG, otherwise known as FRS or Fleet Replacement Squadron. I think when we last left off, we were talking about the early part of the syllabus. Uh, just to uh, recap, the syllabus is divided into two parts. One is what's known as a non-tactical portion where we um, do uh, rocks and blocks, which is the vertical replenishment uh, training. Hook and hoist. Water hoist. Yep. Yeah, hook and hoist. And then we also did uh, LSE training, landing signalman enlisted. They were... They trained us for doing that uh, job as well. We didn't get actually get designated as LSEs, but we certainly could do that job if we needed to. Um, if we did some kind of uh, remote operations, which is basically why they were doing that training. And the next portion was the uh, tactical portion, where we were going to learn to operate the uh, sensor equipment in the SH-2F. So we. We, I think we talked about the background on how we wound up yes. with the yes. SH-2F as the light airborne multi-purpose system Mark One. It's basically composed of very low-cost, off-the-shelf items that were formerly uh, used in a previous generation of ASW aircraft. Um, and helicopters, the P-2, the S-2. I mean, we're talking like 19. This is very old technology. Even in 1983, this technology was from the 50s. It was very old. Still somewhat effective um, against the slower, shallower diving diesel submarines, but realistically, the effectiveness of the SH-2F against the deeper diving nuclear submarines was probably fairly minimal unless they were doing some type of uh, vectac, vectored attack with a Mark 46, uh, Mark 5 advanced capability torpedo that we had uh, later on. So we had uh, the ASQ-81, I think it was Victor 3, magnetic anomaly detecting set. <laughs> That was probably the most modern piece of equipment that we had, I think. Everything else, like the uh, ASA-26 Bravo Sonobuoy Recorder Group with the RO-114 Recorder was very old. This was what they used with what was known as uh, Julie. Um, they had two different types of Sonobuoy processing equipment in the 50s and 60s one was called jezebel 
which actually was developed by the Canadians, and that used uh, um, passive sauna buoys that analyze the, uh, or not analyze, but it, it transmitted signals to the helicopter or the fixed-wing aircraft, what have you, that would display discrete frequencies. We didn't have that capability. We could only do... Uh, Can we pipe what, it to the boat? Known, pass it. We could data link it, but we could also do, do what was known as hyperbolic fixing. Um, and then we could drop RO or range only the SSQ-47 Bravo. Range only buoys, pingers. Sauna buoys. Yep, the pingers. We had, uh, as Mike said, the data link capability. It was AK... T22, which was an antenna that uh, we lowered from the bottom of the helicopter that transmitted the information to an operator on the ship. And uh, let's see, Mike. Oh, well, I guess the big item that we had was the uh, LN66 HP uh, radar, which if you looked at the pictures of the helicopter is a uh, antenna um, kind of like a chin type uh, antenna on the bottom of the uh, the nose the helicopter yeah and I forget what did the HP stand for Mike high remember? power right it was high power high power is that what it was it's basically people used to refer to it as a tuna boat radar because it was a very common um, navigational radar that you might see on a like a small fishing boat or Navy ships used it um, also as a navigational radar for entering and leaving port because it had really good resolution. You could see buoys in the channel yeah. with this. Uh, yeah, if you're dialed, in fact, if you had it dialed in good. Yep. In fact, on the flight line, you could actually see the aircraft on the taxiways and the runways. You could see the pattern of the runways. It was a very, very good radar for um, what we used it for. Um, we also had uh, ASN-123 Tactical Navigation System, which was which was basically like a tactical plot kind of thing. You know, the funny thing is, it looked it looked like you know a green screen Pretty computer. Back then, yeah, right. And, and but really, it was just a way to draw you know where we dropped the buoys or where we had manned contacts or you know. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, we could do was, a surface summary with the radar inputting. We had like a key set that looked oh like God, a, that was you so looked slow. at the, yes. the number pad on a computer keyboard. It looked it was about that size, and you could you could you could press a button, and you could put a bearing and range in. It would send that up to the screen. You could if you got a mad contact, you just you hit the mad button and it would throw a little little yep. circle with an M in it. Yep. As a matter of fact, also, on. On uh, on some of the you know more boring flying around flights, I would just randomly punch mad contacts into it, see if they'd pay attention. Right. The uh, passive uh, hyperbolic fixing uh, on the RO one fourteen recorder. Um, I forget how we even did that. Yeah. It was I'll... like a. How do you how do we do that again? It was you had that little plexiglass thing. But see, and that would you give had you a, a range. Buoy and then you had slave buoys, right? Yeah, no, I don't remember how to do that at all. Are you kidding? Uh, and basically, what it you had, like, you, 
you listen you listen literally to the buoy and it would and it also drew a trace on this heat sensitive paper and the louder it was the more uh you could get uh not a bearing because it's omnidirectional no but you get so, a, a sense of it was moving cl- towards you or away from you right yeah and, and if you knew your pattern you know if you knew the pattern you know you can plot the pattern on the tack nav, right? Buoy one. Yeah, well, you had that you had that button, that green button down at the bottom of the thing, and uh, you you had the range ruler for for active, but for I forget how the heck how do how we're gonna have to look at how we even did passive low far fixing. Um, I just remember you had to have a master buoy, and then you measured the, the percent loss of the signal, and then it would put different size circles. And that would give you what we call an AOP or an area of probability. probability. Yes, I remember that. And then you go in there and in the middle of that, drop another buoy and try to refine that uh, AOP down to the point where you could maybe put an RO buoy in and and get an active contact. But like I said, the the H2 when it uh, when Mike and I started uh, flying in it, the Soviet Union at the time really was having a um, they had submarines everywhere. The, yeah, they had submarines everywhere, but they also were really aggressively working on their Victor three class submarines, their Delta three ballistic missile submarine, um, the Oscar. I mean, they had a, like six or seven different uh, classes of submarines that they were building, nuclear submarines. They were still building... Uh, some of the older submarines and some other uh, uh, proxy nations of the Soviet Union were building like the older Foxtrot class, which was a very popular submarine. Diesel electric. Yeah. Well, no, that was ge- diesel gear reduction. The Kilo was the first diesel. Oh, that's right. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Um, it used that, that uh, the same engine, but instead of being diesel gear reduction, it was uh, diesel electric because a diesel gear reduction submarine is extremely loud. Um, and also about the time Mike and I, uh, started flying in the Navy, uh, which was a very significant event where I don't know if it necessarily hastened the retirement of the H2, but it certainly put a bigger emphasis on getting better ASW platforms out to sea. Uh, we had the Walker scandal. Oh Yeah. So now you have these deep diving titanium hulled submarines and there's no way that we could reach out and touch those guys with the equipment that we had on board. I mean, they tested different acoustic processors, um, but, you know, we, we had the Mark 46, Mark 5 advanced capability torpedo, but it just was not capable of uh, really putting a, a hurting on like an Oscar class double hulled submarine so they went to the mark 50 torpedo carried by the uh um h60 and they, uh, we never carried the mark 50 torpedo i don't think did we mike no and no h2 no no i don't think we did no no too um, big too big so that's kind of like the background of, of what mike and i had to learn how to operate and this was also uh, for for many of us our first real exposure to uh, simulation uh, at a fairly sophisticated level, I guess, for that time. 
and in the training build we had a uh adjoining uh flight simulation center where they had the h2 the h3 and the h46 simulators which were operated um by bezo at that time wait a second in our in our building we had simulators besides ours yep yeah and that in that yard there they had the, the other two little buildings that each one of those had one of them had an h3 simulator and the other one had an h46 simulator because i flew all of them when we were there huh you don't remember the cute because back then the navy had tds a rating yes. called training devicemen and yes. most of them were female yes 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 and, i remember and there was a second class td down there that was quite attractive yes dark hair girl i remember her but I don't. Yeah. So I, I made I made friends with her. I didn't date her. Nothing like that. I just became friends with her. And you know, I told her, yeah, I have my pilots and all this that. And oh, well, you can come down and fly the simulator when it's down. And so I was going down there and and uh, you know, fly the uh, mostly I flew the uh, the H forty six because it was the easiest one. The H two was actually probably the trickiest to fly of the three. I, um, but I flew that one too, and I and I actually got pretty good at it. Uh, um, I think I was got in the sim with one of the inst- the pilot instructors when there was some time left over, and he's like, "Have you been in here practicing in this thing or something?" <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, but it was called, if you remember, Mike, it was called the two F one hundred six. No, I don't remember that. Are you kidding? Yeah, it was the two F one hundred six, and that consisted. It was the two F one hundred six weapon systems trainer. Which consisted of the OFT, the Operational Flight Training, which trainer, which was the the full motion, and then there was a sensor operator trainer, which was basically like a box that a we closet, got into a closet. A clo- oh, that's a good that's a good analogy. <laughs> I was going to say closet. <laughs> and in between there, uh, there was all these banks of computers, and it was it was always cold in there because they had air conditioning cranked up for these computers. And then there was a big uh, instructor station with basically two stations one was the instructor station for the sensor operator station and the other was for the oft and they could either operate it integrated where they're both together yep yep or you could operate the uh each one of them separately or you could operate it where i did a few times where you operated the instructor i'm sorry the uh sensor operator station and your instructor station with a pilot instructor with just two pilots up in the uh uh in the sim i don't know if you ever did that mike but uh i don't think i did that as a student but i later on when i came back through and i was an instructor sometimes i got put on the schedule and uh they needed a a sensor operator for them to do what they were doing but you weren't really acting as a sensor operator you're just getting in the sim and pressing buttons and you're not really like uh you know what I'm saying? It's kind of I, I don't really remember exactly how we did it. I just know that I was running back and forth between the closet and the console. Uh, yeah, no. Um, my experience in the WIST was uh, the WIST, yeah, the weapon systems trainer, right? Or the WIST? Yeah, that's how that's what we used to refer to it as the WIST. Yeah. Um, either in the box, right in the closet, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I don't remember doing a whole lot of uh, integrated work right like i want to say 90 percent of my time in the wist was me 
as a student and, you know, an, an instructor teaching you what different things look like on a radar plot or, you know, how a mad yeah. looks or how a fake. They were usually at night. <clears throat> yeah. Or how a fake mad looks, right? Uh, you know, right. Yep. false, false mad. Um, I, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of, uh, of uh, buoy work there, though. That was, that's a strange thing. Um, and then well, pra- had this- practicing your tack nav inputs. Um, yep. And then, well, they had the syllabus uh, set up similar in a similar fashion to the uh, non-tactical because aviation, like aviation training, like a lot of technical task-based schoolhouses, is a building block. Uh, I mean, that's how we train people how to fly too. You, you know, you learn the basics, and then you kind of start adding stuff to it. So. When uh, we started doing the tactical phase, they broke it up. So the first couple of uh, flights and um, WIS were just learning how to run the radar and doing what we call a radar run-in. Uh, and the idea there was for you to theoretically you're out there flying around uh, doing your thing, and you get what we get a radar you get a radar pop-up. And uh, you pass up the pat, the range and bearing, and you start tracking this thing. And uh, you know, then what you do is uh, start a run in. And at a certain point, it's going to go sinker. You know, you call. You know, spook has gone sinker. And, and when I use that, these words, these are what the Navy calls brevity codes. Um, <laughs> we so used to, spook has gone. We used to gone pass, sinker. We used to pass a time with brevity code bingo flying yeah, around I'm trying to remember yeah. what different uh you know guess what different brevity codes meant <laughs> right right some of the you know there's a few that i remember like uh you know we would do um the radar pop-ups like you're gonna launch a bulldog which was a harpoon missile you're this was more later on we never we didn't do this stuff when mike and i was uh going through the syllabus as uh as students this was what we did later on um in the fleet squadrons to train how i don't know if you remember doing that kind of stuff the you fly down really really low on the water you pop up two sweeps to like like uh i don't know maybe a thousand feet do you like two sweeps two on sweeps, the radar yeah, and, and then, then you then you basically back. auto rotate back down again yep and that was to give the ship uh a spot on where to aim this bulldog which was a harpoon missile. We were learning the rudimentary part of uh, being a sensor operator, which was just finding a radar contact. Um, the idea of being with the sinker is you, you're, count, you're timing how long it takes to get, uh, depending on what range scale, um, you know, the time, and then also the drift, so that when the time expires, you know, you mark on top, and then you drop a sauna buoy. Maybe drop a buoy with it, and try to uh, establish uh, contact uh, using the uh, sauna buoys. And then, of course, you continuously are radiating the radar. The theory being a diesel boat, you want to you want to hold him down if you can. Yeah. Because you're going to pick him up if he sticks a mast up. You know, you're going to see the feather if it's daytime, and maybe pick him up on radar. The uh, H2 radar wasn't the greatest for periscope detection of the sweep 
the scan rate of the antenna was too slow. Kind of slow, but it it, it had the the uh, resolution, right? It could. Yeah. Oh yeah. It had the, it res- had the resolution. The, the problem was the scan rate was too slow. It was twenty two RPM. What was the um? What was the smallest range distance? Was it three miles? No, I think we had a mile and a mile half. Mile and a half, actually. right? Mile and a half. So mile and a half from you to the edge of the screen. So three miles all the way across. Yeah. Or was it? Yeah, it was. Or was it mile and a, or is it mile and a half all the way across? Three quarters of a mile. Mile to, and a half all the way across. Yeah. yeah. So three quarters of a mile to the edge of the screen. So yeah, if you're on top of, actually at that point you would look out the window because <laughs> yeah. you could probably see it better, especially daytime. Um. I mean, we found. So we some... learned the. Go ahead. As I was gonna say, we we learned the early, uh, you know, skills you needed to operate the radar. But prior, before you even do that, you know, you're in the ISD library, you know, going through the different slide trays, and you got to take a test on the radar yep. before you they let you go and do the WIST and do the flights. You'd have to have the know. Yeah. Kind, of, kind, of, yeah. kind of the way it was set up, you know, ground school. Then you go do that phase, and then okay, you're cool with radar. Now let's learn how to use the radar and the MAD. They start adding too. Yes, yes, and uh, and uh, um and the and in the tactical phase, almost it was exactly what Scott mentioned. It was read about it, take a test about it, play with it in the in the sim. Yep. Maybe once, and then go do it in the airplane. Yep. And, and then that it, was fun. And then every time, every time you moved on, you always, you never stopped doing the other. Right. That's right. It was always yep, added and on. You, that's, and, and you may even uh, wind up uh, still doing some uh, uh, hook and hoist flights uh, where they use you basically as a sandbag for <laughs> self floating uh, baggage. Yeah. Self floating baggage or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because we would get, um, we, would, like a, we would get, we would get designated as qualified utility crewmen at the end of the utility phase. Yeah, so, so they, they could, could put you on the schedule for utility stuff, and you wouldn't have to fly with an instructor. Right. But Most you, of the time in the beginning, they put you on something that was pretty straightforward. You're basically sitting in the back while the pilots are doing, you know, fan work or something like that, and then you're sweating bullets that. You don't get a chip light or something like that, and you got to get out and call. Or you're like I am sitting back there, man. I hope we get a chip light. And I, this is no joke. We're flying around, and boom, we got a chip light. So we had to shut down. And there, the very first time, I'm out there by myself doing the droop stops and and plane uh, captain. And, yeah, and, we didn't know anything about plane droop. captain work though. At the, at the, no, that, at that's the rag. all I knew was like how to call the droop stops. Beyond that, I was useless. Yeah, because uh, you didn't get plane captain taught till you got to your fleet squadron right right and that that's a whole another uh that's a whole another uh syllabus that you have to go through or <sighs> what what's known as uh pqs personal qualification standard it's it's a lot of work it's a giant pain in the to, ass it is i hated it is and it was i hated my time on the line <laughs> I, <hated it. laughs> I didn't i didn't really mind it so much um but not only did you have pqs for plane captain you had your air crew pqs so you're doing this stuff yep. to, you know at the same time it, it's a lot of uh it's really a lot of work to and, and don't forget uh, your pqs for your ta 75 tow tractor and your nc8 yeah. self, self-propelled uh 
generator. Corrosion. Crap. <laughs> All that crap. Corrosion control school. Oh, funny story. And, uh, Corrosion control school. I ran into a dude from high school. <laughs> and I also had to go to ordnance school. I, uh, I went to a school to learn how to band a torpedo and load it. Not really. First tour. Yep. They huh. sent me and it was Russ. It was me, Russ Miller and, uh, somebody else around our, our era. And we, we got sent to a school on Ford Island and I've got my certificate for lamps, uh, Mark one, um, ordinance training. So we learned all about the smokes. We learned all about the torpedo. And then we actually banded a torpedo and they had like a dummy bomb shackle. Then we loaded it on there and then we downloaded it. And then they demonstrated to us just how dangerous those bands are. <laughs> Uh, we had a torpedoman chief that taught the course, a really cool guy. And uh, he simulated the arming wires and then pulled this rope that he had hooked to it. And uh, you don't want to be in front of those bands when they go. They freaking kill somebody. Yeah, I believe it. Um, so the flights, they, the designations, I think we talked about the ones for tactical. I mean, for the utility. For tactical, you had what's known as CTR, which was radar. Um, but you also had CTMs, but whenever you did that, you always did a CTR slash CTM. So you did maybe except for the very first radar flight. After that, you did radar and MAD together because uh, that's kind of the whole idea. You know, you're you're out there looking for a submarine. It goes sinker. You run in on and them. And theoretically, you, you do a run in on them. And hopefully when the mark on top, you might be close enough to them. The MAD bull. That you might get a MAD or they're going to do uh, a what we called uh, what was uh mic one mic two the different patterns that they would fly it looked like a clover leaf uh to try to localize using the mad uh and then you went on to doing the sauna buoys and that was your um cts flights but those would be typically combined and with the radar and mad and i don't think we ever did sauna buoy. I don't remember dropping any buoys except Wait. for the one time that I, I went to the range. Yeah, and same that here. Was... One, one buoy, one live buoy flight. Yeah. Uh, most yeah, of the buoy work was, was in the sim. Yeah. And that was a little hokey. I mean, you're, you're hearing like, uh, you know, turn counts and, and then it's just like your, your A school nightmare started coming back a little <laughs> bit. Um, he's called nightmare but the, the sounds were so hokey in that simulator like you know it sounded like you're at sea world with the dolphins and the snapping shrimp and you yeah, know the but, the warship props it was just like but very you, very uh rudimentary yeah but you, you know you got the idea that this the the acoustic portion of an h2's sensor suite was trash yeah you know you if if you weren't doing range only pingers right you really the the acoustic only you it was it was punch it out right dial it in for the for the data link and send it back to the boat make sure you had the right frequency right. Um, the only time you really could you know do anything effective was pingers you know you get your ping and you get your reply and you punch in the number for the distance and you could switch between I mean you can only hit one at a time right. But you can get yeah. three three pingers going, and the and the TACNAV did a really good job of triangulating the, uh, the range circles, and then you'd fly on them, and uh, you know, mat, you know, hopefully get a mad hit, and then 
punch out smokes, right? Every time he got a mad hit, you punch the smokes. He could watch his path. You could see his path on the surface. Do you remember doing that? Yep, sure do. Actually, you turn it on automatically, right? If you punched a madman on the tack, <laughs> it would pop a smoke for you if they had that selected up front. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, the uh, learning some of the the tactical stuff where, you know, if you're doing that uh, radar run in, you get a madman and that's, you know, you call madman, madman, request hats. <laughs> yeah, so stupid. The Heading out recorder, the yeah. That was the other part of the training was learn how to load those stupid recorders because they one of them used like heat sensitive paper, paper yes and the other one a special graph paper uh, was just like a regular kind of paper that had these black and red pens yep. that you had to that came was, in a little plastic pouch it was a graph paper though it had a it had a graph yeah yeah exactly and uh, you had to had to load those things in there um, so the hats was heading altitude time, time sensitivity. Sensitivity. Yeah. Was an airspeed heading altitude time sensitivity? Because that's what the dial on the recorder. Remember that you. But why would the, why the, the pilot wouldn't have to tell us the sensitivity? I want to say it was airspeed. Yeah, but we would write it down. We would annotate what we had set for sensitivity. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. I was saying request hats and feeling stupid. Oh, and then hitting the button and sm- punching out of smoke. We, yeah. we uh, had to do all that. You had to be able to walk and chew gum at the same <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <It's, laughs> um, so we got most of the most of like Mike said. We you made you got one live buoy flight. Um, and it actually worked out I, pretty I good because it was an exercise for me. I remembered my live buoy flight. Mine was too. Yeah, I went out on a U.S. nuke and got point eight of contact time, and it was like the maybe the day or a day or two before my actual natops check so it was a good warm-up flight because we used all the other stuff and i forget who i was with and i have to say um that uh the instructors that we had for the tactical phase were were really good um i I learned a lot from uh from those guys you know yeah yeah um so then the, the 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 last portion of the tactical syllabus they called CTT or combined tactics flights. One of those flights just happened to be like, like I said, like a uh, exercise with a U.S. nuclear submarine uh, off the coast of San Clemente Island, which is an island that's a federal. The whole island's a federal reservation. In fact, the whole area around the island is a marine sanctuary. Um, so, technically. Um, you're not supposed to go lobstering out there, but I have friends that used to go lobstering <laughs> they out do, there. But they do everything. Mike and that... I both had some friends that were in the in the teams, as in the SEAL teams. Um, who was the one uh, one guy that was uh, like a class or two ahead of us that went to Buds and actually made it through Buds? Um, the only the only guy Greg Ebersole. Okay. Greg Ebersole. Yeah, he. He was telling me later on they used to go out there and poach lobster like crazy, and he said the lobsters were like, you know, the the whole plate the place was infested with them. There were so many of them because they were protected, right? Yeah. Um. The, I just I just so know that that, was, that uh, whole that whole island is the Navy did everything there. They did field carrier landing practice there. You know, you could there's a you, SEAL training compound. You there. could get gas there, right? Because the airstrip you can yep. get hot fuel. Um. 
NGFS, the Naval Gunfire Support. Score, the score range, the <laughs> Southern California Offshore uh, Range and Exercise Facility, yeah. which is an underwater instrumented range. They had uh, a gunnery range. The ships used to shoot yep. at it, and the yep. uh, planes would come out and bomb it and whatnot. So that was an interesting uh, deal to do that. That was that was as close as we got at that time to being like on a like in a fleet type and, operation. And, and, out on that. And in an H two, San Clemente's not close. It's a no. it's a good thirty minutes to fly there. It's a little <laughs> bit of a hike getting yeah. there. <laughs> we always, I mean, when I got the thirty three, and we would do uh, exercises because we got I I got more exercise time in the in the fleet squadron than did the rag. I remember we'd hot pump all the time, get gas to get home because he spent most of it flying around looking for, you know, U.S. nuke. Right. I remember, um, oh, you know, one thing we're talking about uh, with uh, just the, uh, the, the the sandbag flights when we go out there um, by ourselves, you know, where the air crew guy in the back is uh, – uh, between flights, we had to go through the hot refueling pits, and uh, so that necess- necessitated us f- actually flipping a switch, <laughs> and then we had to get out of the helicopter and we did like a little walk around thing, and then you stand and supervise the guy, or you really just sort of stood there. The civilian, uh, the civilian, yeah, dude, pump, you know, pressure fueling your airplane, or if yeah. it was if it was night and cold, you'd stand there under the exhaust. Yep, so, yep, I remember doing that. So as to not freeze. Yeah, and then every once in a while it would belch a big cloud of soot <laughs> yeah, on yeah, you. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yes. Because the, the the two airplanes that flew regular in the Navy at the time that belched smoke was the H two and the F four. They would yep. they would just all of a sudden just a nice cloud. Yeah. Nice big <laughs> cloud of soot on you. Um <laughs> But there was something about that smell that wasn't bad, though. Burning that, JP, yeah. It's, it's yeah, a, yeah. That, I, I love that smell. Pilot perfume or air crew <laughs> perfume, however you want to call it. Um, and then we would also, if we did over water uh, flights, Flight, wa- we would do... Taxi through the wash rack. We, yeah. Taxi through the wash rack. Um, I went on some of those flights um, when I was when I was finished with the syllabus, but that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. So... The combined tactic flights, those were primarily in the uh, the WIST. And then the last thing left is, again, you're going to do an open book NATOPS that you have five working days to complete. Then you're going to do a closed book NATOPS. Two hours. Once that's all complete. Yep. You're going to do – and I didn't do that well on my – I passed it, but I didn't do that well, well on it, believe it or not. I got, just, I got like a 3.4. Just so happens. Something like that. that before we really started talking – I went and dug out my stuff because. Yep, I have the little booklet. You know, the little booklet that the uh, the person, the NATOPS examiner, yeah. uh, used. I still have the very first one with Senior Chief Carpenter's comments on there, I, and uh, and it has my scores. I got like a, I think a 4.0 in the on the open book, and I got like a 3.4 in the closed book, which means I missed. Okay. What was so... it? How many questions was it, Mike? Fifty. The closed book. Yeah, I don't remember. Something like here's that. Some, here's, so some, I, I think. here's something funny, which I find interesting. I took my first open book NATOPS test on 24 October of 83. That was like that was like 10 days after my first flight in the H2. Yep. And then the first close. So it must have been a practice. But my real 
my real, uh, you know, uh, after syllabus complete was 7 February of 84, 4, 4.0 on the open book, 3.6 on the closed book. Yeah, you did better than I did. All right, let's see. Who gave me... Here's a pre-deployment RECO exam. Ah, do you remember do you remember Wendy Barlow? Yeah. <laughs> she gave she gave us our pre-deployment recognition exam in December of 84. It's June of 84. What's this? Physical PT test. Who cares? Oh, here we go. NATOPS evaluations. Ooh, here's the one I failed. I failed an ATOPS check. You failed an ATOPS yes, check? Yes, dude. How embarrassing. It was my first NATOPS. My first NATOPS. The utility one? No. No, it was my first NATOPS check at the fleet. Tommy oh. pa- Tommy Powers took me on my NATOPS oh, check. Oh, Tommy Powers, Holy yeah. Holy smokes, that little, guy. Little, little sawed-off guy. Oh, man. He reamed me hard. Reamed me hard. What I, did you get uh, dinged on? Uh, let's see. Tommy Powers. So this was February of 84. In February of 84, I had 246 hours in model. Oh, oh no, wait. This is, something's messed up here. Okay, so 27 December 84, check flight and individual, individual received an unsat and grounded rescheduled for reevaluation. 9 January 85. So in two days, that's what, 36 years ago? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, so let's see. Uh... Individuals not mentally prepared for flight. Unsafe conditions were noted and flight terminated. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, dude. So let's see. Qualified. I'm looking for where. Not mentally prepared yeah, for flight. I, I, I guess I I guess I knew too much. You know, too big for my you britches. You over or something? No, I don't. I just thought I knew everything, right? Ah, oh, this is a cake. I've, I've passed any tops check before. Can't be any worse. Uh, let's see. Briefing participation. ASW ASST information were the unqualifieds. Let's see. Flotation gear. Flight suit had two. My flight suit had two holes in it. <laughs> it gave me an unqualified. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's not too. Uh, you should get a below average for, for head work for showing up with an unserviceable flight suit. Come on. They weren't. <laughs> probably tiny BS hole. Uh, let's see. Uh, ground safety aircraft just says unqualified doesn't say uncertain of cargo limitations. Huh. Maybe that was knowing how many pounds per square foot yeah, yeah. on the cargo. I and think appa- it was hundred. Apparently I didn't load internal cargo properly because that was a refly area. Uh let's see what else. Weak on headwork for planned ditch. You know, I remember this flight very clearly and, and I I'm pretty sure I was intimidated. Like some of it was, you know, it sounds like you probably were just like in the briefing and, and he was like a, he was a first class and a pretty senior one at that. Oh, and he, and, and, and it already had time around him. he was pretty him, right? crusty yeah. too. Yeah. I'd already spent six months around him. Right. Knowing that. Okay. So he knows he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. And so, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to let, I'm going to let him take the lead on whatever. And little, cause you know, I treated it the same as I treated my check ride with Sam McNeely graduating from the rag. But he he you thought was, it was going to be a non-event, right? He expected he expected you to be in charge, regardless. This is, you're yeah. you're you know you're the air crewman. I'm self-loading baggage. Yes, I'm watching you to make sure you don't screw up. But you know you're in charge, and I you can't just let me do whatever. 
Right, right. Yeah, right. he chewed he chewed my ass after the flight, actually. Oh, minor deviations of voice procedure. So I probably didn't say the words in the exact order. Did not down recorder paper post flight. <laughs> I was probably so rattled at that point. I was like, just get me out of here. No anna- no, yeah, an- no no annotation of ASA twenty six, no audio cues. Did I miss an audio cue? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Do you have the actual copy of the the sheet that went up to the old man? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I do. The the. Oh God! Who, <laughs> who was the skipper then? Okay, so hey, remember before much better than previous flight, more alert and better head work. Uh, so total values they put. All right, so here is the evaluation report. Two hundred forty-six hours open book examination on eight January eighty-five three point nine, closed book nine Jan. So this is my refly paper then. Uh, 9 January 85 3.8 oral refly 9 January the evaluation flight 27 December unqualified uh, and then it says successfully completed his annual name tops in accordance with the current directives considered qualifying the SH2 first evaluable flight individual was not mentally prepared for flight unsafe conditions were noted and the flight was terminated on refly individual performed much better than previous flight more alert and better head work and commander cook was the skipper at the time oh yeah yep and and uh, Commander Sauter was the XO at that point, and he was. Now, who was your shop chief then? Was it RJ? No, my shop chief was Terrell, TFT Thomas Fontaine Terrell. I don't remember him very well. Toby, we called him Toby. His nickname was. Was Thomas. he cool? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was very, very chill, dude. Did he chew you out for busting the check? No, ride? no, no. The uh the other the other short duty AW though the guy oh, what was his name he was such a dick. But no, I don't think Nikolai was there at that point. Who? No, AW two Nikolai was the other. Um, I don't remember that dude. He came he came later. Yeah, no, uh, it was of- it was enough that Tommy Powers dream you. <laughs> that, uh, that yeah. No, my first Nate tops was with Sammy sixty hours in model. Oh okay. I mean, I got to my fleet squad and I was a water walker there, man. Yeah, I thought I thought I was doing all right. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't do anything wrong, really. I mean, I, I was uh, I was fortunate, I guess, to because they made me a NATOPS instructor within a year of uh, of uh, getting there. So I got to I got to HL thirty three in April of eighty four, and I want to say Tommy came back from his deployment like in May. So you you didn't even know him. No, no. But that's how you know. That's how that's how it is, right? There's always there's always six six or eight dudes that aren't. That you just never see that aren't yeah. there. That aren't because you know yeah. they're on deployment. You're like uh, you're like on the uh, like if you looked at like a phase you're, uh, for uh, AC power, they're on the opposite phase that you're at. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they're home when you're at sea, and yep. they're at sea when you're at home. Um, but you hear about them, right? Because the guys that are there with you, right? They're, they're that are yeah, just come like, back. Oh yeah, just that ready to go. he's a dick, right? And you're yeah. like, oh great, no, go you do know, a check. Nobody warned me about him. I I still remember the first time I met him. We we did uh, we went to the pool. We went to the pool to do um, to get ready to do SAR jumps like later that week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he shows up. Okay, so this dude was he sober? Yeah, yeah, but he was a. He was, he was an alcoholic big time. But he he was also just one of those not user-friendly people, right? And no. 
and he had. I mean, would you be friendly if you're five foot fucking two? <laughs> dude, dude, the 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 first indication as to his personality was the tattoo he had on his stomach. Oh yeah, the tattoo yeah, on his stomach that. was of a rabbit looking back at yep. you, and his yep. belly button was a rabbit's butthole. Yep. Oh, I remember. I, I, he came to short. He, I was on shore duty with him at a colored in red. HSL uh, thirty-one. And, and do you remember Aaron Valdez? Yeah, yeah. Aaron Aaron Valdez oh is, like a, is in my uh, Natops jacket for some uh, egress he used training. To fuck with Tommy Powers used to fuck with him so much. Um, for some reason, he did not, not like him. I don't know why, but he did not like him. I got along fine with him. Um, I, I didn't really have to do anything with him. You know, I was there as an instructor. He was an instructor. He was actually the LPO at one point. But uh, he was going through some shit at the time. He was an alcoholic. Who, Aaron or Tommy? Gone, Tommy. Oh. I think he had just gone through some kind of of uh, rehab thing or something like that because he wasn't flying when I first got there. He didn't fly for like almost the first year that we were there that I was there at the same time he was. And, uh, but I got a funny Tommy power story. So he cruised, I want to say with, uh, you remember commander Gallo? Was he at uh, 33 when you were there? I'm trying to think real nice guy. Um, but anyhow, uh, he was, uh, I think when he was on a Lieutenant, he, he took out a debt as a, as a Lieutenant, you know, he's a fleet Lieutenant. And he took a debt out as an OIC, and uh, Tommy Powers was, uh, you know, the the senior crewman. So they kind of had a, you know, a relationship going back a long time. Like he might have been a third class or something. Okay. So then, come later on, he was at, and I, this happened when he was at HSL 33 as a first class, where he went on that. Maybe it was that cruise that he went on. Well, he got into it, which doesn't surprise me in the least. He got into it with one of the pilots. And he called him an asshole or something like that. And of course he, yeah. And, and, uh, he, he went to mast. Um, and I don't think that, no, maybe they weren't on deployment because he went, he would have gone to mast in front of the skipper of the ship. He went, he, it did, it happened at the squadron somehow. So he went to mast and, um, this guy Gallo now he's a commander and he was the XO of the squadron, I think. Oh, this is after my time. No, see you. Yeah, yeah. This, this has, to be, after this you, has to be after because uh, Archambo was the skipper uh, when I got out. I can't remember this XO's name at the time. Yeah, Archambo was XO of 31 when we went through. Yeah, yes. So when we heard he was coming he, to 33 to fleet up, we were all you're excited. You're like, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Commander Sauter was, was a super cool dude. Yeah. It was Commander Sauter who was, who, you know, the funny thing is, you know, the XO has always had the reputation of being the mad guys, right? They're always the yeah, angry. Yeah, they're the good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, Commander Cook, he was super chill when he was a skipper because he was a skipper when I got there. Commander Sauter was the guy with the reputation of a flaming, you know, don't piss him off because he'll ream you right in front of everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when he fleeted up to skipper, he chilled out so much. <laughs> and then we got right. we got Archambo as the XO who's already chill. That was a, That was a great 18 months, let me tell you. Yeah. So anyhow, he apparently called this J.O. an asshole, goes to Mast, and they like they knew each other. So he's like, okay, uh, 
you know, your reduction in rate suspended for six months and, and, uh, uh, you know, get the fuck out of my office. And, oh, by the way, only I get to call my assholes assholes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I flew on a flight one time when I was still at HSL 31 as a student uh, with Clapsaddle and Archambo. And Commander Clapsaddle at the time was the uh, PCO for uh, oh. HSL 43. Okay. And they didn't have any birds yet because he had been the skipper of, uh, or no, the XO of HSL 41. And then he was going to fleet up at 43, the first fleet squadron. Yes. So that's a pretty plumb set of orders that he got. And they didn't even have any helicopters yet. So he was needing to get his, because they, naval aviators have to fly 100 hours a year to keep their, you know, their flight pay. So he came over one day. I thought it was four hours a month. Well, they got to fly a total of 100 hours to okay. keep their designation as on flight orders. Okay, okay. So he came over, and uh, I, I went on this flight, and, you know, I thought we were going to go to, like, IB, and they're like, no, no, we're going to go to uh, we're gonna go to uh, uh, Yuma and get a milkshake, <laughs> and then we're going to do some approaches at El Toro, right? I mean, at El Centro, and then we're going to come back. And I'm like, cool. Yikes. And he goes, yeah, so we flew all the way to uh, – And this is the craziest thing. I never thought that I'd be standing on the ground looking up at a commander greasing a tail rotor, but that's what he was doing. He so we had the he goes, You don't you've never greased a tail rotor before, have you? I said, No, sir. He said, Well here, I'm gonna show you how to do it. Oh my god. He climbed up there and greased the freaking tail rotor, yeah. Move the pedals, uh, you have you move the pedals for him? Yeah, and (laughs) did the turnaround inspection and then uh, we went in and had uh had a milkshake and climbed in the back, but you know what was weird about that flight? Was these guys were sitting up there talking, and they must have like didn't care that I was back there or whatever, and they were talking about all these other officers. Oh, like, oh yeah, that guy's a jack offer. That's t- yeah, that's... he's never gonna he's never gonna make it. And they weren't talking about JOs; they were talking about their peer group. Well, yeah, maybe the, maybe I knew they that figured... prick when I was at the Naval Academy. I knew he was never gonna make <laughs> it, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. I never I never had, you know, because. You know, in uh, in the in your fleet squadron, once you get on deployment, you, you know everybody knows everybody, right? So there wasn't a lot of that, you know, uh, chatter outside of whatever. It was it was at the rag where they would be talking about the crazy stuff, and I yeah. but I I never heard other officers ripping other ones. Yeah, we, we would that do was, that. that we would do that in the air crew lounge. We would we would rip on our least favorite pilots for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a couple of them. So, um, yeah, the, then we uh, do the NATOPS check. And like I said, it's the open book, closed book, the flight. And before the flight, you do an oral where you ask your questions and this and that. Uh, and I went with uh, AWCS or AW Senior Chief James Carpenter, who at the time, being 23 at the time, this guy looked like he was like your grandfather. I yes. kid you not. He he yeah, had to he, be he, he had to have been sixty something. He was old. Like, yes. But he was a very like he was very fatherly, grandfatherly, you know. Yes. Towards you, you know. Yes. Very, very cool guy. And I remember he had a mountain dew can cut in half with the edges turned in. And we get in to get ready to go and and he's like 
cleaning out his pipe and he's got one of those little tools and then he, he's putting <laughs> the pipe tobacco in there and like I'm doing the hoist check. I can see him out of the corner of my eyes, got his pipe and he's smoking his pipe watching me and uh, and then doing all my stuff. I, I got dinged on a few things like uh, I remember the one I remember the most was uh, I gave kilo status before radar status was known. In other words, before we took off and I tra- requested to transmit radar. That was one of the things I got dinged on. Um, interesting you know but overall that that, that went pretty pretty good that smoking Um, i don't really remember being particularly nervous though um no because i think it's just because he was such a really nice guy and but you also wasn't really intimidating in the least bit so you also feel prepared you were prepared yeah i mean mean, they 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 drilled the crap out of you right you had you had your your book reading and your book learning and then you go do it and you do it again and you do it some more and then and then you can't you can't deny the effectiveness of just sitting around the air crew lounge bullshitting about your yeah. own experience doing some of this stuff oh hey you know i got screwed i forgot to do this you know and you'd share your stories of failure or success or whatever and so you know maybe one of your fellow our crewmen you know, remembers that story and doesn't screw the pooch themselves or something. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I mean, we were living and breathing this airplane. Yeah. You know, during during 40 hours of work week, right? So we did a lot of goofing off, though, Mike. <laughs> I know. I'm not gonna. You're absolutely right. We did a lot. I mean, especially uh, and, especially and that's the that's the one thing I want to say is we were young guys. Uh, and yeah, we we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but I have to say that we we did a lot of goofing off, you know, just uh, hanging around in that uh, little lounge at the end of the passageway. I think the worst thing about uh, dead time was Thursdays when we had to do the field day. Oh. We had to strip and wax the deck every Thursday. Uh, that's sweep, when you hoped you were on the flight schedule. Sweep, but sweep, swab, wax. Yeah, sweep, swab, wax, yep. and buff. Don't forget the buffing. Yep. Yeah, oh yep. my gosh. Yep. That was a that was a standard thing, and of course we had duty, but we had six section duty, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that last time. Yeah. Washing airplanes. Um, and... Yeah, and then uh, when I was stashed there uh, for, let's see, I forget the date. I, I think it was January. I finished my uh, training, well, and then I basically didn't go anywhere for about six weeks, and I got to do one one. Uh, really cool flight the second to last flight before i left i don't know how i got put on this good deal but the blue angels have their trainings uh their winter training out in el centro california which is out in the imperial valley so their first show before they go on the road is they do a farewell show to the community there in el centro and el centro is uh it's it's now in a full-blown NAS, but at the time it was an NAF or Naval Air Facility. And really the, they were there to support um, the training command. Uh, oftentimes uh, they would send the uh, squadrons out from uh, the, the East Coast, the Gulf Coast area of Texas, to come out and do their CQs, their initial carrier qualifications. And then they had a bunch of bombing ranges out in the Chocolate Mountains, and they had Deaths that would come down and drop bombs and do that. And then their other thing was uh, it was the Navy Parachute uh, Evaluation Center where they tested parachutes and stuff. A lot of that testing stuff was all going on 
you had the Yuma, the Army Proving Grounds, and then the Yuma Marine Corps Air Station and whatnot. So I got to go on the on a flight to go to El Centro to do the static display with a uh, with a H two. So it was myself, uh, a plane captain, and I think one female from admin that like picked a thing out of a hat and she got to go. And <laughs> thing one of the instructors, and I forget who the instructor was, but I remember the, the uh, FRP got to go, and it was Lieutenant Junior Grade Tom House, who unfortunately lost his life in the crash of an H-60 Bravo a few years later. But he was one of the really cool pilots that we had that was going through uh, after flight school, going through the FRS. So I got to do that uh, right before I... Uh, did my permanent change of station to Hawaii. And that was a lot of fun. Watched the Blue Angels at the time. They were doing the uh, show in the A4. Yeah, that was probably and, one of the last years of A4, right? Because they... Yep. I and say I had 86s. to do the dog and pony show, you know, sitting, standing around like, yep, this is the SH-2F, you know, in my, uh, in my flight suit. So it was kind of neat, you know, uh, first experience with... Uh, you know, with that sort of a thing. Um, next time I did, it was actually aboard ship in Vancouver, Canada for a uh, open house oh, on the yeah. ship while we were there. Yeah. Was, that was one of these times, like, you had duty and you had to do it. So it wasn't really that much fun. Other than the fact there was the prospect of meeting some cute girls. Other than that, <laughs> it's right. it was kind of a drag. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about Nate Tops checks. You know, when you take your your natops check flight you're that you're considered syllabus complete at that point right so my rag check flight was 22 february of 1984 um it was my 24th flight in the h2 and it was sammy mcneely so between 22 february 84 and uh let's see when my when was my last hsl 31 flight was 11 April? Yeah. So f I was stashed from 22 February 84 to 11 April 84 as self-loading baggage. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. It looks like one, two, three, four, five. Oh, these are double 4.3 hours. These are hot pumps. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, 4.3, 4.4. Nighttime. Here's a 5.2 yeah, at did, night. I did some of those night double pumps, and that's usually when you were going out and doing the, the Dopplers, which is what we called, where you go out, drop a smoke in the water, and uh, come around and do a overwater approach to a hover. Yeah. Well, uh, and, I, and, and those were, those were uh, sporty sometimes because of the uh, sea state. If you had some swells out there and that uh, rat out hold something, times yeah one time we got down so close to the water that uh i got the spray of the rotor wash in my face <laughs> so i i remember was, doing uh, i remember doing some dlqs for uh yeah i did dlqs for a but for for ships that were um re, re, recertifying their deck right yeah we'd go out I at night out on one of those yeah um one of them was a george phillip i remember it was a ffg perry class frigate and mm -hmm. uh I remember I I did a night flight out to them. Um, we had to we had to transfer them apart. Some part we had to fly out to them was a gear the size of a of a of a 
watch face. And we had to, we're like, how, you know, the, uh, it was Commander Not. Remember Lieutenant Commander Not? Yep. He comes he was up. Our he, opso in Hawaii. He comes up. He hands me the. This is the part where take we're flying out to this to this to this boat. And I'm like, uh, okay, how are we gonna get it to him? Because we weren't supposed to land. <laughs> we're gonna hoist it down. So their deck was certified. You were gonna hoist it down. I'm thinking. Uh, he goes, go find Put a brick. Helmet bag. Yeah, exactly. He goes, go find a brick. We'll use my helmet bag. So the helmet bag wouldn't flop in there because this thing was probably weighed like an ounce, right? Seriously, it was a gear. Yeah, whenever we did a hyper, I always used one of the pilot's helmet bags to put the yeah. to, so they could put the fuel sample. I didn't want to get that in my helmet yeah, bag. Exactly. So I remember I used his helmet bag. Like, why does my helmet bag smell like fuel? <laughs> well, and so we, we to get a fuel sample. We sent that thing down, and then the next day, again at night, we we were landing on them. And then I come back from that night flight and I was on the schedule for the next morning to go back out to that damn boat. I mean, I had the minimum eight hours between coming back and having to come back the next morning to fly out back to that boat and then land on it. And then I want to say they left me on it for some some bounces for some reason. Hey, how do you feel like getting out? You want to go get a drink or something? Sure, why not? Yeah. Well, that's that's what I did on the New Jersey. You know, later on, I, I got out and I left that senior chief in there. And uh, I actually went to, it was chow time. So I went down to the mess deck and ate dinner on the mess deck there in the Jersey and went to the ship store, bought myself a coffee cup. I still have it. Nice. Yeah. Then the next time I went on board that damn thing, I had to pay like 18 bucks or whatever it was. What? <laughs> or whatever you got to pay to, you know, go on it. I'm like, man, this is a little screwed up. You know what I mean? Um, oh, to visit as a museum. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, to go visit it as a museum. <laughs> oh, it's, but... it's, it's surreal. It was really surreal, you know, because I remember they, they had a head that was off of the, close to the, the number, the aft turret. I said, hey, when we're doing, where's the closest head? Yelling, one of the, oh, it's right here. And then I, was, there it was, you know. Like, so for posterity's sake, I went and took a leak in the same head again. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Did you go to shipboard firefighting when you were stashed? Yep. Syllabus, yeah. Across, across oh, the bay. Oh, to 32nd Street in that funky looking building. Yeah. That was a three that days, wasn't right? much fun. Was that two yeah. or three days? I want to say it was three days. And, 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 after your the third day, you know the because you're actually doing the actual putting out the fire inside the you know the simulated hangar. And what and, I didn't like was uh, doing that deal where you got to put the OBA and you can't see your hand in front of your face. You got to hold on to the guy. Yep. In front yeah. of you, and, and they, Go they got the that smoky. going. I didn't. Yeah. Go I didn't really sm- care for that. But you trust you you know it makes you trust an OBA though, doesn't it? Yeah. You feel yeah, that yeah. you feel I that just wasn't real crazy about. Do you the feel whole that experience. fresh air? Right, coming from some sort of chemical in a can. Is <laughs> this the craziest thing? How is this? Yeah, it's, how, uh, does, it's, how does this make fresh air? Don't worry about it. Just breathe it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, don't get it wet. Because <laughs> right. whatever this stuff is, it doesn't react well to water. Some things in here don't react well. <laughs> react well to bullets. Yeah. Nice red October. Um, you went and saw that as a shop. Really? In, in the 1988, yeah. 1990. It came out. 1990. It was 88, right? yeah. 90. Whenever that, uh, whenever that came out. I know the book, was, uh, the book was, uh, 
came with us 85. on the the book came with us on deployment in eighty five, and and everyone had their yeah. own bookmark, right? So if you left yeah. the book, if you set it down, someone else would pick it up and read it from wherever they were at. Yeah, I think there's I, like I five or three points. Eighty four in Seattle is when I first got it. I have. I still have it. I have a copy of that first edition too. Yeah, that'd be worth some money someday. Yeah, now that he's dead. Yeah. Um, I got see. a first edition of uh, Red Storm Rising too, which is a good book. No, I bought that in paperback. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, did you? Uh, speaking of Red Storm Rising, did you? Did you ever go over to the ASW base to play air, airplane yeah. for uh, anti-submarine exercises? Yeah. You mean uh, when I was a student at thirty-one? Yeah, part of your stash time. Yeah, yeah. they sent me over there. Three days, another three-day trip to get you out. Uh, uh, out from underfoot. Yeah, I stayed and stayed in the barracks over there. The no, I drove. I didn't. TP. Well, I didn't have a car, so they said, "Well, okay, well, we'll just get you billeting over there." So, which was fine. It was just nice to get a change of scenery. Yeah, we're gunfighters every day. No dungarees, no flight suit. And and if you're uh, also going back, Mike, um, I think we talked about it before when we were offline. Is we. One of the major events of uh, our time in HSL 31 had nothing to do with flying, but it was the most biggest pain in the neck that oh. any military <laughs> member ever has to experience, and that's known as a inspection. And this is what's known as an ad matter or an administrative and material, material. Uh, inspection, and it is a big deal for the commanding officer's fitness report. And as we had this term that we used to call as a a sweat X, is what we. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you had to field day, paint, do all of this crazy stuff uh, in the squadron spaces. You had a personnel inspection. Oh yes. That's uh, that's the first uniform. That's the first time. Also had that that inspection that f- was a dress was whites because it was that time of year was yep. whites still. Yep. Um, yep. That was the first time ever that I discovered that locking your knees really will make you pass out. Did you pass out? I did. I was sitting there. That's I, right. I, I was, remember I now. Sta- I remember somebody like passed out. I was standing there I, next to. I guess it was you. I was standing there next to Russ Miller, and um, I'm going, Russ, Russ. I don't. I'm I don't, gonna, I don't feel faint. so. I go. I think I'm gonna pass out, dude. He goes, No, man, you can't do that. No, I. I <laughs> <laughs> stuff's starting to spin. You got to help me out here. He goes, no, no, you'll be nope. fine, and and you know I'm just starting to wobble, uh, and I was fully conscious for the whole thing. I'm like, dude, I'm I'm gonna fall down. <laughs> he grabbed me just in time, and then they came over and asked me, Are "You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. No. Get back in line." <laughs> okay. Really? They made you get back in line? <sighs> Surprised they didn't keep you out. Well, I I mean, because it was like right there between the two hangers, right? So I got taken around the side. Like by the quarter deck side, you know, and to you know, wasn't gonna sit down on the ground in my whites. I know that. Um, Russ kept me from hitting the ground. He, he grabbed me and walked me off. Yeah, I remember that now. Oh my god! I also remember that not only did we have to do dress whites, we had to do a practice inspection, which was took much longer. It was more stringent because the admiral came through and he just like, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like all of this crap, and the, and the admiral walks through in like three minutes, yeah. whereas the practice one took like an hour. Because right? the command, because the skipper did it. 
No, the XO and the skipper did it. Yeah, yeah. Right? They split it in half. Dinging, dinging people left and right. And, just to... and the other thing that they did was we had to get a, uh, a dungaree uniform <sighs> inspection ready because one division in the squadron was going to do it in dungarees, but they didn't tell them until the last minute. Uh, who was it? Okay, this division. I forget. It wasn't us. I think it was admin or something. But we had another practice inspection where we had to be in our dungaree uniform which, you know, you had to have the military creases and uh, it was a fresh shirt with a fresh stencil, yeah. you know, fresh dungarees, fresh belt, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. You know, so you're having to spend a little bit of money, of which we did not have, uh, to have this inspection uh, uniform. But as Air, uh, as Air Crewman, as Air Crewman and dealing with, you know, NACUS inspections it really was yeah. a, a non-issue for us. Exactly. Um, and, and, when you're, and when you're an airman... You have no, you might have one or two, you know, ribbons or, or medals. I it's, didn't have any. Neither did I. But, you know, you might have a marksmanship something, right? Right. So, you know, all the all the aircrew students and even in the, the FRAMP students, right? The first, the first yeah. uh, you know, the all the all the E3 and below is easy for us. You know, just make sure you don't have stains and your neckerchief's tied right and your hat's sitting right on your head and you're pretty much good to go. Um, and then we also had a barracks inspection along with that. So we had to do a, a practice one for that. And they came through because I remember the master chief for Com ASW wing pack was master chief. Kelanui was like Hawaiian. And uh, not that I'm bragging or anything, but I got pulled out on that inspection for being uh, outstanding. So that was kind of cool on the room. You mean? No, or, on the personnel inspection. Oh, the personnel inspection? Yeah. They brought they pulled out like one person from each division and then had us line up in front and they, you know, Admiral came by with the said, Yeah, congratulations, you're outstanding and I think I got like a seventy two hour liberty or something nice. like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, um at, But the the getting ready the the you talk about the field day, right? The painting. See, yeah. we okay. So we already talked about every Thursday we had to sweep, swab, wax, and buff the deck, right? But for this thing, we we had to get down on our hands and knees. Remember, we had to steal wool. Yeah, to get, get all the residue, all the old the, wax, the baseboards off the, the baseboards, old wax. all the oh old wax God, off the baseboards. Rough. And that then sucked big time. And, and how many aircrew students? Did, you know, ten maybe. Yeah, we're about a crew like of ten that. dudes, so you don't. But it was just a, it was stupid. I remember thinking, this is so dumb. I'm on my yeah. hands and knees scrubbing baseboards with steel wool to get wax residue off that I'm going to put right back yep. on when, yep. I, when I wax the deck for the last time. Yep. <laughs> and then I just, and, and then I remember the, the, the fleet replacement pilots would come down the hall, right? Can we walk? Treading all over our deck, right? At, Wax, right? The wax isn't dry, but they got to get to the library. Now, yep. on the oh, daily, yeah. on the on the weekly ones, it was like, okay, so what? Really, no one gave that much of a rat's. But on for this ad, man, uh, I remember, no, sir, <laughs> come back in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nope, come back. And we had someone stationed at the top of or the stairs. Were, or they were trapped in there. There was another way they could get in there from that other door, I think. Um. Well, there was when I was there in Faso because I was back in that building again uh, with Faso. But um, that was also the time that I got promoted too. 
You made third class before I, you I left. Got, I, I got advanced. Uh, I took uh, advanced promotion in uh, A school. So when I finished the syllabus, I got frocked to third class because I was a third class when I got to Hawaii. Were you getting paid for it? Yeah. How it long was it? Was it acceler- accelerated advancement? Yeah, you got frocked and got paid immediately. Oh, okay. You know, like, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. To I'm get sure. the extra pay. Well, and it's, and it's spare you some BS at the when you first land at the fleet squadron because yeah, E3s do all the friggin' work. Yep, and I had but I had to extend for a year my enlistment, so it was worth it because I got uh, you know I did two deployments when I was in Hawaii, and uh, the last year I was there I didn't do anything from the time I got back April until I left in March. To come to shore duty, I didn't do any other than fly, you know. They didn't put you back uh, on another deployment? Yeah. Nope, because I did two right back to back, and then uh, my the chief said, yep, you're done. Well, it's good they <laughs> okay. honored that, because nowadays yep. I don't think, you know, dude, the, the the service members now, you know, the Navy, they're, they're, they're deployment cycles. I know, they're pounding cy- on people. Their deployment cycle's nuts. I mean, it used well, to look be... at the Nimitz. There's a they're, they're on what uh, their tenth month of their deployment, and they just got turned around and sent back to the Persian Gulf. I think. Oh, I mean, you figured even eighteen months, right? Six month deployment, home for a year. Six month deployment, home for a year. With short, I'm talking about boats, right? With short cruises yeah. and little and little one or two week things here and there, and then, uh, you know, your uh, your work up deployment, you know, your work up cruises, whatever. But holy smokes! Nowadays they're just—they're just—they're just getting—they're just getting pounded. And then, and then, um, you know, like the aircraft, they can't fly them as much. Yeah. Well, the problem they're running into, especially with the the jets, is uh, they're wearing them out flying yeah. combat, pulling G's and all that. Yeah, and and, and s- their service life is shorter. I mean, the number of hours they fly yeah. is the same, but they put the hours on yep. so fast that. Yep. They started having that going on, uh, you know, my last tour with uh, our H-60s. They had to speed restrict them uh, because they were finding cracks in the uh, in the empennage area Ooh. because they kept adding weight to the helicopters, you know, and uh, making them heavier and heavier and heavier. And that uh, the amount of torque that you needed to get it up off the ground well, it's a, it's puts a, a lot of stress on the, the rest of the airframe. It's a low inertia was, rotor head, right? doesn't store any energy. Yeah, and it was really creepy sitting there watching one lift and watching the whole tail rippling, you know, oil canning. What? And, oh, yeah. Holy yeah, smoke. Yeah. That, that's no where all way. that stress was being oh. uh, transmitted through the fuselage. So we were speed restricted, and then uh, they had to go to depot level maintenance uh, at a shorter interval. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, wearing out our. And then, of course, the people. That's the big thing, you know equipment you can replace but you can't replace train and experienced people yeah 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 they're just um, it's 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 I, you know they don't know any different right so to them it's to them it is what it is but as a as an oldster looking back i'm thinking you know my 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 active duty time was not strenuous it was not no. strenuous i mean all through training i had every weekend off unless we had duty one every six weeks and even then, it was you know one four hour watch from midnight to four, or four. You know, I mean, the worst is midnight to four. Who cares, right? Um, my deployment yeah, and actually had a lot of time off 
going through once I finished, like I said, I really only had to show up for the flight schedule that last six, you know, that six yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they would find stuff for you to do, right? Get you, keep you out of, keep you out of their hair, keep you out, out of trouble, sight. out of sight. Yes. Yep. Um, but in, in, and even once I got to the fleet squadron, right before you'd get up, it was still Monday through Friday, seven thirty to four. Lunch is from eleven to one thirty, right? You better disappear by eleven thirty. You're gonna get stuck on it. A- well, it was even more so when I got to the fleet squadron. Uh, my buddy and I we were we were disappearing like from about ten thirty to about like, you know, two o'clock. Yeah, we're going to the laundromat and playing video games. Yeah, yeah. You get again. Got to be out if you're sitting around. They think you're not doing anything, and they'll find something. But you gotta you had to be there at the end of the day to help. You know sweep up and empty the trash or whatnot. Um, we had a lot of Aloha Fridays out there in HSL 37. That meant at 1100, if you weren't on the flight schedule and all your, whatever your collateral duty was, all that was caught up. Go. Our chief was, uh, do you have something to do? I'm like, no, we'll go do it somewhere else and disappear. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Chief. Yeah. So, I, you know, even, even the deployment itself, I mean, we didn't, we didn't pull into a lot of ports. Like, I mean, like I remember, there's a dude on my on my debt that was his like second cruise, and he was talking about his first cruise where they would go out for two weeks and then pull into port for a week, go out for three weeks, pull into a port for a week. I mean, is he on a med cruise or something? No, he was on. It was a Westpac, but it was around the holidays. Is it independent steaming. Yeah, and it was it was, but it wasn't part of the the forward deployed uh, Yokuska business. It was just. You know, they were they weren't they weren't attached to a carrier battle group. They were doing independent yeah, steaming. I, I like. guess so. It, and it was around the holidays, right? So you know you're in port for whatever. But I mean, my deployment wasn't that strenuous. I mean, we had a 43 at sea period, 43 day at sea period, and a 47 day at sea period. The rest of the time was in and out of whatever. But the ship itself was on a routine where. Sundays were no ship's work. You were still yeah. watch, and that's it. And a lot of times they would uh, do a rope yarn Saturday too. Well, we we did we did half a day Wednesday, half a day Saturday, all day Sunday. So, so that was how that was a good idea. That was pretty good that the XO did it that way. It set it up that way. Yeah. So you got that extra half a day off in the middle of the of the middle of the week of the week. Yeah. And but, uh, one so, of the ships I was on, we used to stop and fish. <laughs> Well, we would... the old man, the old man used to like, they like to come fit co, co fishing. So, you know, we, we hear knock off ships work, you know, at, yeah. uh, whatever it was, 1100 right after, or whatever right after lunch. Yeah. And we're, we're fishing until like two o'clock in the afternoon. He's back there on the fan tail. Everybody else is fishing and, uh, you were having a good time. I mean, they, they play basketball, volleyball in the hangar. If the aircraft was, I mean, we would float, we flew, you know, the only day we really didn't fly or call flight quarters and piss the ship off with Sunday. But we'd fly right. Wednesday, we'd fly Wednesday afternoons and Saturday afternoons. But yeah. Uh, well, uh, we we were pretty we flew our ass off on the on the especially the the uh the second debt that I was on when we were at sea, but my second debt, we spent it was a seven and a half month deployment and we spent probably three and a half months of that maybe closer to four in port and either Yakusk or Natsugi or in QB Point. See, and that's in fact we did one stint in QB Point. We were there for like six weeks. In fact, our cruise ended when we were in the and we actually had to put the, the aircraft on a C five and fly fly up to Yokota. Interesting. 
See, but that's not yeah. again. That's not strenuous, right? That's not at all like what people are doing. No, are we're going on now. liberty every night <laughs> in, the, in the PI. Yeah, shit. Yeah, you know, it's uh, um, we usually flew at sea. We flew four sorties a day because uh, they wanted us to do thirty percent nighttime. Remember all that stuff. So we would do dawn patrol, another one, break for lunch. You know, a little few more times, a uh, few more hours. And then we do like a uh, dusk and then a night patrol. And my second cruise, we had our super cool chief, and he set the, the uh, work schedule up as a 12 on, 12 off. And so myself, I would be on one 12 hour stint. And, and if I was on the flight schedule, I'd fly. And if I wasn't on the flight schedule, I'd, I'd uh, you know, help out with. Uh, Maybe whatever the maintenance guys were doing or sleep or uh, hang out or, or what have you. And then once my 12-hour shift was done, then I went back down to the berthing and then I was off for 12 hours. So it was it was pretty nice. That Like that wasn't strenuous at all. We flew we flew 10 hours a day. Five hours. Yeah, that's, that's what we did. Five too. hours in the morning, right? Take off at 7. Land uh, just after – because breakfast started at 6 or 6.30 – Cause you, you had to give yeah. the you had to give the flight quarters dudes you know a uh, chance to eat, so we'd call flight quarters at seven a.m. We'd fly for five hours, well two and a half, come back for gas, fly for two and a half more, right? But the yep. the it was that was always a hot pump. We never shut down. It was you know yeah two two and a half hour fl- goes, um, come back in time for lunch at noon, shut down, and then lunch it's five thirty. Because dinner dinner was at five, so from five to five thirty. If you're flight, if you're on the flight deck crew, you better make better make sure you ate because flight quarters was getting sounded at seven at seventeen thirty. Fly for five they, hours, come back at ten thirty. Did they blow the damn whistles on that ship? Um. Yes, yes, we got. The, we got Remember we got the dinner the, whistle? Dee. Look, took forever, right? <laughs> Dee. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so 10 30 quarter 11 we'd be back it took an hour to put the airplane to bed i remember that we would hardly ever get to bed before midnight because sometimes you know you you fold it up and start your daily your daily inspection and it took the boat forever to give you permission to move the airplane inside the hangar yep so but that's that's fleet stories that's not uh that's not germane to <laughs> the rag. Um, what else? What else did we hit? What else did we do after a syllabus complete that wasn't flying? Nothing much. Nothing much. The weather wasn't really not great yet, like summer weather. Well, for you. I'm trying to remember if we do any side trips. Do we do... Um, uh, I remember February, I remember. The, the water was cold enough, though. You'd watch the water temp in the briefing room, right? You know, the mm. on the whiteboard. The, once it hit 60, you'd have to start f- flying with a wetsuit on. Mm-hmm. That was usually February before it got started warming up again. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy doing that. No. no. I did it a few times. Then like later you- on. Yeah, you felt like you had a condom on your entire body, well, right? I was going to say, I felt spring-loaded. 
Because you know, yeah. your white your wetsuit wants to put your arms out straight and your legs out straight, right? Because you you being the wetsuit's resi- got resistance if you're sitting normal. <laughs> right. I don't know what was I don't know what was worse that or the dry suit. The dry suit was no fun either. Yeah, I didn't particularly care for that either. <laughs> uh, it's like sticking your head through an elephant's asshole. Yep. <laughs> I still have mine somewhere. I'm sure it's full of holes. <laughs> yeah, I still have all my SAR gear. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, all yeah, the, stra- the, all the straps are rotted. The, the Mark 13s. And, uh, or, or no, I have my SV2 also. And I have everything that was in it except the flares and the, the Mark 79. And the. I actually still have the launcher. I just don't have the little clip with the the flares. And, of course, I don't have the Mark 13s. I think I still have a sea dye marker. I don't yep. have none of the flotation, right? Just the vest itself. Yeah. Um, I have my helmet. Yeah, me too. I actually have two of them. Me too. One's my H2 helmet. I have my, uh, my, my SPH3C and I have my HGU55, which was the the newer you know helmet that you see now the helicopter guys have. That's what they were using when I stop flying in the navy but i actually have the uh the box not the box but the the owner's manual or guide or whatever that came with the helmet when it was brand freaking new because the prs gave it to me and they gave me a roll of tape Tape, and they said go tape it tape it up yourself yep yep yeah they had me do it you always started with the my helmet with white and then the, yep. the stupid helmet taping rules that kept changing every freaking six months. You have to have yeah. 10% maximum not white. Oh, you can have up to 20% as long as it's yellow and red. I mean, <laughs> no blue. No, that blue's okay. Because yeah. every squadron had their own like uh, uh, pattern, Design. right? Yeah. And in HL33, we had, it was uh, two thin red stripes that started at the... You know, the visor went mm-hmm. went over the the rail parts and then down the side of your helmet and then like made a curve back towards the ear cups. And then in between was a was a piece of blue. So red, blue, red, the whole helmet white. Mm-hmm. So they, so when you first checked in to the fleet squadron, you give your, your helmet over and the PRs put this the squadron design on it for you. And then I, I swear I got it and then like three months later, nope, pull all the blue off doesn't meet the new requirements from nav air that you know enough reflective surface whatever and for a while they had that that snake skin looking tape yep yep that had the hex pattern to it yeah yeah and then they got rid that didn't last for very long i'll think it was stupid just a just a great example of stupid bureaucracy yep all right well would you say we've we've uh Killed this subject then? Pretty much, yeah. All right. So n- n- the next thing we're going to talk about is what's it like out in the fleet? Even though we've even though we've said some of it, we'll talk about how uh, everything starts over. You have to prove yourself. Right. Oh, and then they're going to add the plane captain business, and you get to spend time on the flight line and find out how other ratings just hate your guts. Because, you know, in their mind, you're not doing anything. Right. 
Yeah, you got to. Yeah, I found that is the uh, the norm everywhere you go. You kind of start over again. You have to prove yourself, uh, build a reputation. You know what have you? All right. Some people do. Some some <laughs> people are better at that than others. Yes. Yes. And you know, and and the the khaki, uh, you know, the chiefs, the other for the other shops, you know, they also set the they you know help set the culture. You know, if you have jerk chiefs, then they poison the other shops against you. And if if uh, you know the chiefs mess is together, then they're you know usually not as bad. Yeah, that's right. They do set the tone. All right then. So, um, I guess we'll call it. We'll, we'll wrap it up for that for this the second half of talking about the uh, HSL thirty one aircrew training. And we'll uh, next time we crack the mics, we'll talk about landing in our first fleet squadrons. Um, so, if we got nothing else, then I'm going to sign off. Say thank you for listening. Stay safe. God bless.